Welcome to the Inspiration Accelerator, hosted by Michael Sonberg, founder and CEO of Rebel Culture and Skyrocket Education. Each week, we'll talk to a different, inspiring person in the world of leadership, personal development, career, family, fitness, and beyond. Buckle up for the Inspiration Accelerator. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Inspiration Accelerator. I am here um, with another really inspiring guest today. Her name is Kimberly King. I'm going to bring her out shortly. Um, And the timing of this interview is perfect, considering it's April and it is Sexual Abuse and Prevention Month. She's going to talk to us a whole bunch about that. But before we get there, I just saw something the other day. I um, I was watching an interview with Steph Curry. If you don't know who Steph Curry is, he's a basketball player and he's he plays for the Golden State Warriors. He's widely considered to be the greatest shooter of the basketball of all time uh, with, with nobody even as a, as a close second, right? He's really redefined what it means to shoot the basketball. He is, he is that good that he does things that feel almost fake with the ball. Um, he's a two-time NBA MVP he was the first unanimous MVP in uh, NBA history. He might even be the only one at this point. Um, he got all the 50 votes. He got all the votes. He's a four-time NBA champion. He's won the finals MVP one time. Uh, and he's considered by many people to be one of the top 10 greatest basketball players to ever live. Uh, I don't personally have him in my top 10, but he's in my top 20. And uh, that let's <laughs> People are probably thinking, uh, hey, uh, Sonbert, if most people have him in the top 10, I'll, I'll, I'll keep him in the top 10. Thanks for, your, thanks for your opinion. And that's fine. Here's my point. I saw an interview with him the other day. And despite his dad having played in the NBA, Steph Curry was only recruited by three colleges. It was Davidson where he wound up playing. It was Winthrop, I believe. And I think Virginia Commonwealth. These are not powerhouse schools. I imagine for most of you, you haven't heard of at least some of those schools. There's no Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, none of the traditional powerhouses. I just think it's a good message for anybody listening here that sometimes the experts don't know what they're talking about. I'm doing air quotes when I'm saying experts. Sometimes the experts don't know what they're talking about. Uh, sometimes stumped, something that starts slowly turns into absolute magic. Sometimes you just have to believe in yourself so much that despite evidence from the outside, evidence and quotes that the thing you're doing either won't work or isn't good enough, um, that, you've, uh, that you've got to persevere. Steph Curry is an example of what it looks like to have people telling you no. And to continue to tell yourself yes to the point of being all-time, all-time, all-time great at something. Hope that resonates with you, friends. Um, And if you're starting something up or thinking, man, I'm crazy for trying to write that book or run that race or start that podcast, like, think of Steph Curry. Think of all the the obstacles that were in his way and and where uh, where his belief and his talent got, got him to. And also incredibly hard work. Uh, all right, folks, I am thrilled to bring out 
uh, Kimberly King. Kimberly is a, she's a mom of three. She's a kindergarten teacher. She's a survivor of sexual assault. She's a sexual abuse prevention educator and advocate. She is an author. Her most well-known book is I Said No, A Kid-to-Kid Guide to Keeping Private Parts Private. She also has another book called When, pa- when Your Parents Divorce. And she has an upcoming book called Empowering Caregivers. We have her here uh, for uh, April because it is Sexual Abuse and Prevention Month. And uh, Kimberly's also a friend of mine. We uh, got a chance to meet in Manhattan at a conference um, last year, and we uh, we hit it off really well. So, Kimberly, welcome to the Inspiration Accelerator. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I'm super excited to talk about this topic and glad to be here with you. Yeah, well, we're glad to we're glad to have you here. So I'd love to start with your your book. I said no, a kid to kid guide to keeping private parts private. This has been a this has been a massive success. Is that right? Yes, it's it's taken some time, but yeah, it's been a very popular book and I have sold as to date 250,000 copies on a book that nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and it really was inspired by um, issues in my childhood and an event that my son um, had at a sleepover where he had a body boundary violation and he told me. And the reason why he told me is because I had given him just a little bit of body safety training enough mm. so that he knew to tell me. So that's, that's where it started. A, oh man, this is, this is absolutely amazing. And I'm, uh, I think we, we just don't, uh, probably as a society and you could speak to this, you know, much more, uh, at a much more expert level than me, but I just don't think we talk about these things. I just, I have to pause for one second because 250,000 copies to me. I mean, I, I have, I have three books in publication right now, uh, two novels and one nonfiction and combined, they haven't even sniffed that number, not even close, all three of them combined, which leads me to believe that, as you said, people don't want to talk about it, but people do want to learn about it. Is that fair? Yeah, it's definitely fair. Um, and congratulations on your books. I'm sure you'll get there. Um, <laughs> we'll I, I know you will. But <laughs> I think that the thing about my book is that it was such a taboo topic that it really took me being brave enough to own my own story and share it and just be willing to talk about it with anybody mm. and then actually learn the inside scoop of like how to get your book noticed and how to connect with others and the things that you have to give and, you know, volunteer for just to get that message out there and becoming an expert in the topic. I did a ton of training and research and, you know, really put the work in up front. And a lot of people said no to me. I mean, getting this book published with a traditional publisher, I really didn't think it would happen, but, you know, I kept at it and and it did. So it's kind of like that Stephen Curry story you just told. I mean, <laughs> it's it's very rare to get your first book published, you know, with a traditional publisher on a topic like this, but I kept at it. Yeah, and talk about what's the impact. So give us a little bit about about the book. Uh, okay, sure. First off, yeah, what is what's it what's it about for our, our listeners who are are certainly going to be interested in this? 
So I Said No is a book that is written from a child's perspective and takes you through a story of um, the sleepover event that my son experienced and then trains you and your child in the really important body safety strategies that are proven to keep children safe. So mm. we talk about, you know, body parts and their anatomically correct names. There's a, there are, it's kind of divided into little mini chapters almost. So body parts, we talk about consent. We talk about mm. doctor visits and, you know, who's allowed to do what. Also developing body autonomy that a child has the right to say yes or no to all touch. And then mm. we go into private part rules, who are safe adults, and then really talk about like if something happens, how do you how do you know that something is happening that would make you raise a red flag? And that is all about, you know, identifying our feelings and being able to co communicate how we feel to our safe adults. And at the end, you know, one of the most important pages at the very end is that no matter what, if this has ever happened to you or to a friend, you need to tell because, you know, telling can make it stop. Telling can get you to safety. And, you know, it's never, ever a child's fault. So it kind of hits all of the critical pieces to prevent sexual abuse, to empower families, but also there is a lot of supportive material in there that would help a victim if they were abused, they could read this book and, and then feel safe enough to tell their caregiver. You know, this is, I'm just totally blown away by uh, your, and first of all, your expertise on the subject is, uh, is so obvious, but you know, you are a really great example of somebody who, um, you know, you had you had something happen to you at a young age. I imagine you probably have this this data. I don't, but I imagine you've met dozens and dozens, if not many more people who have said something similar happened to me. Thank you for telling your story or something happened to my child. Thank you for telling their story. Yes. But, you know, you, something happens and then you become an expert in the content. Uh and then, you know, obviously there's the situation with your son. And, and so I imagine there was there was a lot of uh, studying after that as well. But like, you know, so many people, for so many people, this happens. I, whenever I see the data on sexual assault, it blows my mind. I mean, the most I recent thing I saw is like one, out, I think one out of every four women in their lifetimes, right? And yeah. I think one, one out of 16 women, their first sexual experience is forced right? right and and this is and i don't have any data on on children um what what made you the person who is or a person who's like i'm gonna i'm gonna tell this story yeah this is what i think a lot of people probably do is they they don't say anything right yeah that's 100 percent true so sadly one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they're <laughs> 18 and what's horrible about that that statistic is that only 38% of kids ever report abuse at all. So the numbers oh. are completely off. Like there is no yeah. accurate number on like Probably the, much higher. Right? It's, it's way higher. Um, mm. And yeah, for me, um, I, as I was a victim of sexual assault, my first week at college and mm. I ended up, you know, I had been 
drinking a little bit, had a couple of beers and was, I don't know, apparently drugged or something. And I woke up knowing something terrible had happened to me. And I told my mom and back then, you know, I went into college knowing nothing. <laughs> and mm. back then my mother was like, well, you can't tell anybody because everybody will think you're, you know, you know, a bad person. They won't believe she told me all these things um, to oh, not gosh. do. And then she told me to come home. And I was just like, no, I, I'm not coming home. But I, I didn't report it at the time. I ended up just, you know, diving in to learning about the topic and started to work within the field. So I started working at the Women's Health Center and volunteering mm. on the rape crisis line and things like that. And I kind of buried it for many, many years until this thing happened with my son. And when mm. that happened, it was like uh, emotional tsunami, like I, I crumpled. And then I just realized yeah. I had to do something. So I dug in, I started researching and I found that there was no book at that time for children and families, for families to read that would talk about the reality of child sexual abuse, that it's usually somebody the child and the family already knows, that it can often be a friend or an older cousin or even a sibling. So I started to develop this book based on, you know, the fact that there was a huge void here. Wow. That's uh, what a, uh, I don't know. I mean, just, <laughs> I don't know if you use this term to describe yourself, but I'm just thinking what a badass to say, <laughs> you know, I am, uh, I'm going to shift this narrative um, because I know that, um, you know, one of my, um, one of my very first uh, girlfriends um, a million years ago uh, confided in me that uh, her older brother, one of her older brothers had raped her when they yeah. were younger. Um, and they, she wouldn't talk about it yeah. and nobody would talk about it. And she wouldn't tell her dad. She wouldn't tell her mom. She wouldn't tell anybody. Yeah. Uh, I remember I would, we'd be at dinner, and I was I was a teenager at the time. And, but I wanted to kill. I wanted to kill the guy. I wanted to kill him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was this like you don't talk about it and don't say a word. Um, and um, you know, I'm I'm wondering if there's. Uh, you know, there's there are things that we could do as parents to not just educate our kids, but to create the space for them to share when things feel off. Right. I mean, right. I imagine there are people listening to this who probably think like me that like, hey, like I I, I do an OK job talking to my kids about this. But I right. imagine there are things that we do or don't do that create the space. Mm -hmm. for our kids to tell us. Can you give us any tips on that? Like sure. what are you saying as parents? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I think just first of all, talking about the topic openly and honestly in a judgment-free zone so that your kids know that no matter what, if anything happens, if they feel like they made a mistake online, if, they, if they're uncomfortable with the situation, if they're uncomfortable with a relative or a family member that they can tell you and you will just help them. Um, the sibling sexual abuse thing is actually more common than most forms of interfamilial abuse. And it's rarely talked about even to this day. There mm. is a website I want to recommend before I forget. Um, it's called Five Wa The Five Waves. And Jane mm. Epstein is a friend of mine who is like one of the first people to talk publicly about her story of sibling sexual abuse. So I recommend everybody 
go learn from her because she's got incredible resources. There's not much out there for this yet, but um, to create the space where kids can, you know, be safe, but also tell you if there's something wrong that takes, you know, a lifetime of building these strategies and these skills starting early and then just checking in with your kids constantly and doing things that reduce the risk. Like you're not going to leave your kids with a 13 year old older cousin from out of town unsupervised. Mm. Things like that are inherently unsafe because we know that these things happen. They're just, you have to do some preventative steps. The other thing that parents often forget is that you have to have an environment where children can tell. And then after that, there's nothing wrong with asking. Like you can, you can say, have you ever felt unsafe or uncomfortable with a relative or a friend has, have you ever had a friend have an issue with body safety? Have you ever had a problem with body safety? Because sometimes kids are so scared to tell and there's nothing wrong with asking. Kimberly, how do we navigate the like, you know, does a seven-year-old like, you know, I mean, like my, we joke about it to this day, but when my oldest was about four and, and they asked him in school what he wanted to be when he grew up, he said Godzilla. <laughs> uh, and uh, we joke about it to this day, but, you know, he's now nine. And uh, I, um, I'm, ho- I'm, I'm, I'm home in New York today, which is rare, but I am. And uh, my wife came down earlier and said that uh, the nurse had called and that my oldest was at the nurse complaining of you know, headaches, sore throat, et cetera. And then mm-hmm. she goes, but he came down with his friend and they were laughing and they're like the seventh and eighth kids to get sent down from that class today. And I think it's because there are two substitutes in the, in the room, both the uh. teacher and the, and the <laughs> teacher's aide are out. And so I'm sharing that to like, show like, like, you know, like sometimes I feel like kids um, and I'm not, I'm not, trust me, I'm not suggesting we don't, we don't believe victims. Um, so please hear that clearly yes. you and everybody listening, but like are kids in a position to even articulate what's, what's happened to them or yeah. are they, or is it, you know, I, I just, you know, like uh, sometimes, you know, um, and I have, you know, I have a son who's nonverbal, which, which, um, you know, so that that's a whole different thing, but yeah. you know, sometimes we'll, we'll talk about one of his teachers, and he gets very upset when he when we talk about one of them just right. sometimes. And then I'm mm-hmm. like, well, is there something going on there? Um, but it, or also is it that that person just holds him highly accountable? So right. it makes him get frustrated when he just hears the name. <laughs> How, can you give us any any advice on that? Sure. Yeah. So with kids in reporting, it is very rare that a child would just come up to you and say, um, you know, my my teacher touched my private parts. They're not usually going to say that or they wouldn't say, like, mm-hmm. I've had a red flag unless you have been training them on body safety since they were like two years old and they know mm-hmm. the language and they know there's no issue with reporting. And it's not going to happen. What usually happens is you will notice signs and symptoms sometimes. So. But oftentimes there are absolutely no signs. But with kids, especially under the age of 10, you might have them avoiding a certain situation, not wanting to go to Aunt Susie's house for dinner. Mm. You might have them saying they feel sick, they have a stomach ache, you know, those type of things. Then their behavior can change too. Like they might become more withdrawn. They might become Mm. more anxious. So as a parent, you really have to, and most of us do really 
know our kids, but also put together like what we notice about them in general. And then when they don't want to do something or they're avoiding something, really try to get to the root of the problem. It might not be sexual abuse. It might be like, oh, my teacher holds me accountable and they're really tough on me and I was embarrassed because of X, Y, Z. Or it could be, you know, it could be anything, mm-hmm. bullying, difficult circumstances, somebody's made fun of them. But as a parent, that's, you know, one of those things you can really dig into, like talk about like why and open-ended questions and say, well, I had a, I had an experience like that one time. I didn't want to go to football practice either. And, you know, it's really about communication there. Um, And then just reiterating as part of your body safety education, like the root underneath everything is like, uh, if something ever does happen, it's not your fault. I will believe you and I will help you. Mm. Mm. And it sounds like part of this is that the parents have to have built a culture of um, like normed language around mm-hmm. what the stuff is. Yes. I imagine it would, you know, like, uh, and of course the, and you, you mentioned this earlier, but like the, the understanding that we do tell and that it's not your fault. Um, I imagine this is much harder to do for the parent who has avoided the conversation um, and that it's much harder for them to then support the child uh, who's who's been victimized. Right. Uh, it, it can be hard because a lot of parents are also, and a lot of women are also like, you know, survivors of sexual trauma in some way. So the topic can be very triggering and you can definitely just want to avoid it. But I, I mean, I tell the parents that I work with, in my small groups and in my coaching programs that it's never too late to start, you know, just starting is what you've got to do. And this topic changes and grows with your child. So when your child is three, you might be talking about body boundaries and nobody can hug me without permission and rules and things. But then as your child gets to the age of 13, 14, you've got to talk about online safety and sextortion. And, you know, like it's a whole can of worms. So it's easier to start early, but there are so many resources available now that you can, you can start like today with a 12 year old, if you haven't already, it doesn't matter. You just have to start. I feel like, um, and you tell me, but it feels like much of this is um, maybe it's maybe maybe I'm speaking to the lack of reporting here, but the like, I don't want to make something into a big deal that wasn't a big deal. Right. Um, like, I don't know if that person really meant it that way. Am I am I crazy for thinking <laughs> that that was weird? Um, so let me just not, not talk about it. And I, and I feel like that's a, a that's like a a predatory move as well to, you know, um, something, uh, that's uh, violent, uh, by in nature would, would of course, I mean, and obviously I know that there are people who do that as well, but that's like, uh, that's, that's a like pretty obvious thing, right? Not that Mm -hmm. those are easy to report on because I know they're not, but it feels like a lot of these predators are, um, they make it seem like it's not a big thing that's happening, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, that's part of the grooming process is, and there's a lot of things that predators do to groom 
children, but also they they groom an entire family. And so mm. when when a predator is trying to like find that target victim, they will like befriend a family, build trust, you know, like do favors and then really start trying to make you comfortable with them so that you eventually give them access to your child. So when you have an instinct that somebody like maybe, I don't know, touched your child's shoulders and it it seemed weird to you or got too close to your child, your instincts are really important to listen to here because they're rarely wrong. And in this type of a situation, you could say to that person without making it a big deal, you can say to that person, you know what? I don't want you touching my child that way. Just stop. You can just be de direct. And you can also say, we talk about body safety and sexual abuse prevention. And my child has read books and we are a body safe family. So I just want to share this to you because it bothers me. And then it's non-confrontational and it can, you can put like that red flag up because predators are looking for parents and children who are completely uneducated and uninformed you know, like if you know nothing, you're a great target. But when you put that red flag up and you let people know in your circles that you are not going to be a target, that you are working on this, you're talking about this, that you're protecting your kids, they're going to pick somebody else. Got it. Which is like scary uh, it as is well, scary. right? It but, is scary. Um, I heard a, a story recently. I I don't know how true this is. I think it is true of a, a father in Russia who had, and I don't, this is very dark. So folks, if you uh, don't want to hear this, then put it on, put it on mute for, for the next 30 seconds. But a father in Russia whose friend, quote unquote, had sexually assaulted um, his daughter. And so the father in Russia had the friend, again, in quotes, dig his own grave and then uh, kill himself in the mm -hmm. grave. Um, as like a, an ultimate, like you've hurt my family. You are going to pay for this in, mm -hmm. in immeasurable ways and you're going to do it to yourself. Uh, and I gotta be honest, Kimberly, I don't know <laughs> if this is the right way to think about this, but I'm like, I was like, good. I was like, good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to think about this, but. Well, man, it's, was, it's a dark it was, story for sure. But, you know, sadly, sometimes when children do report a lot of times we can't even get to a prosecution because of children's ages and stories and memories and lawyers and all of that. So, you know, it's a, it's a tricky topic right there. And it's your instant reaction as a parent when something, you know, even like a, a small body boundary cross brought up rage in me that I, you know, I could hardly handle the report. I, I went over and confronted my friend. I, got all upset, you know, and when that happens, you make your child feel like they did something wrong. Mm. <laughs> so, and then they stop talking to you. They don't tell you the whole story. Um, and for mm. me, like that was one of the big mistakes I made. And, and I didn't have like a full on issue, like the story you just told, but it, it brings this guttural, like, you know, mama bear dad, you know, it, it's, they're your babies. And of course you want to protect them at all costs. But I would recommend, you know, filing charges, reporting, and, you know, it's, it's, you want to keep your kids safe. And you also want to keep other children safe from predators, which is why it's so important to report.
Yeah. Is there a is there a profile of a of a predator? I think that um, we'll get these alerts from our kids' schools of like yeah. strange. They call it stranger incident, and oh, there's okay. some uh, person who you know is asking like a, a high school or a middle school girl to, if they want to ride home. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, thankfully every, everyone we've gotten has been the person, you know, said no and, and then ran and found an adult, which is great. Oh, but nice. is there, a, yeah. Is there a profile of, uh, <laughs> yeah, of there, it's kind of interesting. You know, we used to think of the, the sexual predator as the stranger, you know, mm-hmm. the old guy in the white van. It's, it's actually not really that person who's the biggest risk. So mm. 90% of child sexual abuse comes from within the circle of people we already know and trust. It could be a distant you know, person that we know, like an assistant basketball coach, or it could be mm. you know, somebody from church, somebody that your kids and you already know. And of that, 90% of those people are men. It's, it's 10% of females are perpetrators. So, so the, hold on, I just want to be clear on the math. So 90% of the uh, of the uh, predators are people we know, even if they're like, there's like a, a quasi distant connection. Yes. Assistant. But mm-hmm. of that 90%, 90% of those are men. Is that accurate? Yes, that's, okay. that's accurate. And then you have to also consider this, the whole online stranger thing, the online risk. There's not really enough data here to to like really justify how scary this space is but in 2021 there were something like 21 million sexually explicit images shared between predators of children oh. online and those oh, so people- images of children shared between predators is that yes right? yep between uh, 21 predators 21 million and they get those pictures from children sometimes, you know, they befriend them online, they start texting and chatting, they find them on apps, they start to develop a relationship, they groom kids online slowly and invest a lot of time in it. <laughs> and then next thing you know, they start talking sexual, will you be my special girlfriend, can you keep a secret, and then before you know it, your 15-year-old has sent inappropriate pictures to a 52 year old man who she thinks mm. is a 16 year old boy. And then that can oh. turn into something called sextortion, which I don't know if you've heard about that, but there was um, an FBI warning a couple of weeks ago about an upswing in, in this crime, online crime called sextortion, which is when predators lure kids in, they get pictures. They can also like fake the pictures and they can use deep fake technology to put your child's face on a pornographic video. Then they blackmail the child for thousands of dollars, give them a time limit, and it's resulted in a bunch of suicides. Oh my because goodness. the kids thinks that the kids think there's no way out. And they really do, right? It they really do and they oh. panic and they're embarrassed to tell their their family. And so I say to all parents that I work with, the second you give your kid access to the internet or a cell phone or whatever, you have to have these conversations that you know, we're not going to send any inappropriate pictures to anybody. We're not going to no. talk to anybody we don't know. Like, you know, we're not going to share where we go to school. We're not going to share any identifying information because we have to protect our family. But kids are impulsive. You know, they're developing their interests. They're becoming sexual and they're going to make mistakes. So under underneath all of that, if you make a mistake, you just have to tell me. So you want your kid to be like, 
oh my God, I, I sent this picture. Now this happened, you know, mom, you know, like mom, oh my God, I got to tell mom, not mom's going to kill me. I can't tell anybody. Right. And that then becomes, I mean, this is a, we're talking about one specific aspect of parenting, but that becomes, I feels like that has to be baked into the DNA of the, of the, how that parent parents all the time. Absolutely. Right. Because yeah. it's got, you know, like, uh, you know, um, you know, so-and-so cut school today and asked me to do it. And I did, um, they've got, a, and now like, I'm worried I'm going to get in trouble. If that's like, uh, I'm not going to tell my mom about that or my dad or my guardian, whoever, like, if I'm not going to tell them about that, I mean, I imagine there's very little likelihood that they would tell them, uh, something that happened right. in a, in another, in another scenario. Right. Absolutely. And, that's why just like having open communication and, you know, family rules and talking like it's just so hard to keep track of kids these days, too. We're all so busy. They do so many sports and activities and they're online and they're with their friends. And you do have to just check in and check up. You have to. It's critical. Well, I was going to I was going to ask you about that because I I. You know, I'm sure you've heard the term helicopter parent. Yeah. And there's also, you know, the like, uh, you know, and, and when you're around my age, the and I don't necessarily engage in these conversations, but, you know, friends of mine do of like, you know, we used to leave our houses at when we were kids, we'd leave our houses at nine in the morning. We had no cell phones. Our <laughs> parents didn't know where we were. We'd come back, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And um, and, you know, this almost this longing from some parents in a sense for like the good old days when kids just kind of acted like kids and they were out at, you know, a friend's house for nine hours. And, you know, they, they might call and check in at one point from a home phone, but we weren't constantly texting. Right. But I, I, I would wonder like how rampant this stuff that you're talking about, these assaults, were happening like how how rampant they were back then versus now um yeah. and if even if we don't want to be you know the quote-unquote helicopter parent like i said quote-unquote 20 times in this episode but <laughs> that's <laughs> it's okay. right. uh so there's, a, there's a prize if someone can count them and, and email me um <laughs> but it feels like in this in this area the 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 more oversight and this is obvious but the more oversight the better even if you are not committed to being that that level of involved in your child's you know friends and life um right. holistically but you have to be in this regard right right absolutely and you know it, there is something to be said for the kids that your child hangs out with so for me my son alex he's a senior he goes to fairfield prep he has a very very busy athletic schedule. He's training, he's running, he's, you know, he's doing all this physical therapy. He's got a great group of kids that he hangs out with who travel in a pack and they work together to keep each other safe. They have designated drivers that, you know, mm. it's, they have a plan. So I've sort of developed that with him from, you know, the early beginnings, you know, like, making sure you are responsible, being a leader, not being scared to speak up when somebody does something wrong. And I'm here to help you if you do something wrong. I don't want you lying. I don't want you sneaking around. And I don't want you making, you know, a ton of big mistakes. But if you do, 
I will help you. That that's really critical. Um, but for parents with this online risk, it's really overwhelming. I, I do a lot of work with parents on this topic, and I recommend to everybody that. Okay, first of all, don't get your kid a cell phone until they're at least 13. It's distracting. It takes away from their learning. They check out of all conversations. They don't pay attention. They become addicted. It's just a terrible device. But if you have to give them the phone, if you feel like you have to, just to know where they are, you know, there's there's things that parents are scared of. There's, you know, safety, there's school shootings, there's there's so many things, right? So if you have to give them a phone and you feel like you want to, but you don't want to be a helicopter parent, you can get one of these, uh, it's called Bark Technology. Bark Technology has phones that are, they look like they're smartphones, but they're not. So your kids can only text and call you and it has a GPS locator so you can see where they are. Mm. Um, they stay off of all those apps temporarily while you have that phone. But Bark also does have monitoring software that you can sign up for, which identifies red flag phrases, identifies conversations, and it'll literally send the parent a little bark and it'll say like, your child talked about depression, or here's something that your child, it'll tell you like when some things pop up. It's not just like sexual abuse, it's not that. It's it's kind of like comprehensive. It flags self-harm, depression, you know, suicide. Things that might be bullying. things that are concerning regardless, but things that also might be indicators of right. other things to be wary of, right? And you yeah, and you can set it to different levels based on your child's age. So it's a really good tool because you're not like constantly like checking their phones and looking on the app to see where they are and all of that. It just it's it's a helpful tool for parents. I really recommend that so so talk about so how how uh transparent should we be with our with our kids about how much we're monitoring who they're talking to and what they're talking about i worry based on um the space that you're coaching us to create for our kids to tell us anything that we we might simultaneously be if they know we're watching every move they make um hesitant to do so especially yeah. if you know uh you know the, the kid i hang out with like just has a regular iphone and and not the bark phone so how transparent should those conversations be and is there a way we can have them that uh actually you know contributes to the dialogue about like um, us having a really, um, you know, a really, you know, open and honest dialogue about, about, uh, about these pieces. Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, um, I'm just going to use Alex as an example, as, as he got his phone and I was back in the day, like checking it, looking at the apps, all of that, you know, kind of like all over his stuff. And we were having conversations and all of that trust developed and, I just eventually, when he was 15, I knew that he was making enough choices that were positive and good at school Mm. with his friends, with his time on the devices, which I limited. So I trusted him to be safe online. And to this day, he'll still like, I don't monitor his phone anymore. He's a senior. I'm not going to, you know, you there are things you don't want to see also (laughs) (laughs) when you have a boy or a girl, you know the phones are also kind of like a private diary in a journal. So like there's this privacy thing where once somebody Mm. has developed and you, you feel like they're secure and you trust them, 
I think it's okay to give them a little space and then a lot of space because they have to develop independence and learn lessons, right? Mm-hmm, but um, mm-hmm. with Alex, I I really just check in with him and he'll bring his phone to me and say, look what I got here. like, And he'll show me like a, a message from a stranger from Instagram and, you know, like just people trying to get him to converse with them. And I'm like, oh, that's funny that that's still happening. And then, you know, he'll block them and whatever. But it's really just, I think, long-term setting it from the beginning, being a really firm authority not authoritarian but if you want to be authoritative in your parenting Mm. on these topics like be strong set rules and for the online space i recommend everybody have a discussion and have an online family safety plan so like establish your rules what are the rules going to be for your for your 13 year old okay maybe they're going to have 30 minutes of phone time they're going to check their phone in at mom's mom and dad's room at bedtime. They're not going to play on it all night. They're, you know, they mm. agree to certain things. They're going to avoid certain websites and you, you discuss it and maybe check in once a month and then have communication about like fire areas, hot areas, problems, and just work through them. Talk about them. Kimberly, this is reminding me of, uh, I think there's a mindset piece here. I remember when I uh, was coached, by um, some folks I was working with around, um, you know, finances, uh, coached to create a will. And me being like very hesitant at first, my wife too, that like, this was an acknowledgement, creating this will was an acknowledgement that like, we could die or (laughs) that we're going to die at some point. And I remember like thinking like, I don't even want to think about that. I don't even want to put that in the space. And I, I would imagine, but of, but of course, uh, you know, I mean, that, that is, that is a certainty, but I imagine that there are some, some parents listening to this and, um, you know, even, uh, aunts, uncles, whomever, who, who have a vested interest in their, their little ones staying safe, but who might feel similarly, like if I bring it up, if I start this dialogue, I'm almost like, you know, sending a message to the universe that. I understand that this could happen. And really, that's the that's the wrong way. In both cases, it's probably yeah. the wrong way to be thinking about it. It's actually about preparation. It's about being really honest about, uh, you know, uh, possibilities and uh, not in a positive way. But, you know, certainly like the, the things can happen. Like, you know, the data is pretty clear. If you're saying, you know, one out of four girls and one out of six boys, and then also telling us that that data is likely significantly low, we could probably assume, and I don't like assuming data, but like yeah. a 50%, 50% of this is not like getting struck by lightning. And so it's probably a mindset shift that needs to happen for folks who are thinking, just bringing this up uh, increases the likelihood that it's going to happen. It's actually the opposite, right? Right. It's at, it's, a hundred percent the opposite. So that's a really good way to talk about the, the will that that's just like so brilliant because yes, we're all going to die. Right. But it is important to prepare because if you don't, you know, you end up with probate for five years and the state <laughs> yeah. takes all your money with this. If you don't prepare, the chances are that something probably will happen to your child and they might not tell you. Um, they might be seriously injured or harmed. It could happen to them for a lifetime. There are so many negative consequences from child sexual abuse that last forever, including like, yes. you know, outcomes as an adult, like mental health problems. It, it goes on and on. So 
why not just say, okay, it might happen. So let's just prepare for it. Let's make wow. a plan. Let's start early. Let's talk about it and let it grow with our children. Because when you launch your kids out to college, you want them, you know, they're, they're young adults. They need these skills. Also, they need to understand like the word no for us to train our children in, you know, consent. That's really important too. When you go off to college, if you're in a relationship with a girl or a boy and there is sex involved and a no happens, your yeah. child, your young adult needs to understand a no and respect a no on the flip side. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kimberly, just uh, this feels like a master class in uh, all things like child sexual abuse prevention. Uh, where can folks, if folks want to learn more, if they want to buy your book or your books, where can folks, and even enroll in some of your coaching programs, where can folks find you? Sure. So KimberlyKingBooks.com is my website. And then I'm. you can buy books and sign up for my online classes. And I do private family body safety chats there. And then also I'm on Tough Topics Mom on Instagram. And I have a lot of resources there under my bio links, like nine red flags to spot grooming behavior. That's a really great mm. guide that everybody, it's, there's just a lot of free resources under my bio links there. Love it. Well, Kimberly, I, uh, I can't thank you. A, I can't thank you enough for coming on. B, I feel like I am, as a parent, I am more well prepared to navigate this, you know, treacherous and uh, but really like necessary conversation on, uh, based on what you've taught me today. Uh, and I know our audience um, uh, f- feels the same uh, because this was just so informative and so helpful. And I just can't just, I want to just personally thank you for what you're putting into the world. Um, it'd be easier not to have these conversations. It'd be easier to put this, the weight of this on somebody else's shoulders. And you're not doing that. You're saying like, put it on mine. And I'm just, uh, I'm inspired and I'm moved and I'm, uh, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I know you. Thank you so wow. much. Thank you so much, Michael. It's been a great conversation. And I think the most important thing is like preparing, not scaring. So like, I feel like we've done that. Awesome. Amazing. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much for coming on folks. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next week quote, end quote. See you next week, all. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode. Please look out for a new episode with a new guest every week. This was the Inspiration Accelerator with Michael Sonberg.